back to In the Queue Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host, Phil, and I hope that film audiences never stop questioning or just get comfortable when films digitally alter the appearance of actors to make them appear <laughs> more youthful. I hope that we never just accept that and stop questioning its use. I think that would be bad if we uh, did. Oh, yeah. I hope that the future is very uncanny valley free. Yeah. Because it's creepy every single time, no matter what. It's Always more weird. terrifying every time, especially if they're making people younger or bringing people back from the dead, which is even more terrifying. Yeah. I'm looking at you, Rogue One. <laughs> uh, I'm Andrew. I'm your other co-host. And the overarching design philosophy of this film seems to be more is better no matter what it is (laughs) and uh if there if 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 guardians of the galaxy one was baroque then this film is rococo (laughs) i thought you're gonna say it's (laughs) baroquean well maybe a little bit of that too um no, but a highbrow art history reference is so much better. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. Okay. That's, um, that's what that degree is good for. <laughs> <laughs> it's great for hosting your own podcast. <laughs> um, we're, uh, we're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Indeed. Uh, we're going to talk all about it in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you guys out there where you can find us on the web. You can go to our blog, which is found at www.in-the-q.com. And that's the letter Q. Uh, you can also find all of our episodes on our Facebook page. Just search Facebook for In the Q. Q U E U E is how it's spelled. And both those places, you can find all of our episodes uh, on our Facebook page. That's where we like you to leave the comments, though, because then mm-hmm. we can get in touch with you. Mm-hmm. And if you'd like to join our show and appear on a guest episode, uh, we would love to have you. Just send us some kind of a message on Facebook. Yep. We also have a Twitter. It is at ITQ Podcast. And lastly, you can find us on iTunes, Podcast, Overcast, and many other aggregate apps. Uh, so without further ado, today's film is Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2. The fate of the universe lies on your shoulders. Now, whatever you do... Don't push this button. Because that will set off the bomb immediately and we'll all be dead. Now repeat back what I just said. Andrew? No! No, that's the button that will kill everyone. Try again. I'm Groot. Mm-hmm. I'm Groot. Uh-huh. I'm Groot. No! Showtime, a-holes. Tape over the death button. 
Nobody has any tape. Not a single person has tape. You have an atomic bomb in your bag. If anybody's going to have tape, it's you. I have to do everything. You are wasting a lot of time. That's a really bad sign. Someone, I can feel their feelings. You feel love. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I feel a general unselfish love for just about everybody. No, sexual love. No, no, I don't. For her. No. <laughs> she just told everyone your deepest, darkest secret. Dude, <laughs> come on. I think you're overreacting a little bit. You must be so embarrassed. <laughs> do me, do me, do me. That's uh, it. That's the trailer. Yeah, that was that's the trailer. Uh, so, Guardians of the Galaxy is a continuation, of course, of the previous film from three years ago, where you've got Peter Quill, aka Star Lord, and his crew, his motley crew of misfit people from all over the place. Indeed, you get Drax, Gamora, Rocket Raccoon, Groot, who is a baby in this film because he was. Uh, reduced to a little sapling at the end of the first one. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the, one example of kind of the egregious sins of this film is that they realized that the character of Groot (laughs) became somewhat of a phenomenon with the first film, especially with his now iconic line, I am Groot, which is, was his only dialogue from the, that film or this film <laughs> yeah. and and they uh, they really ramped it up and they have a uh, baby Groot and they really were capitalizing on the cuteness factor or the perceived cuteness factor of this CGI little fella indeed and as as you heard in the trailer he says I am Groot many times and we're supposed to just kind of roll on the floor laughing every time the uh, the general story of this one uh, kind of involves more outer space hijinks, and it throws into the mix some history of the origin of Peter Quill, namely his father, played by Kurt Russell, mm-hmm. in a very kind of nerdy cameo role for fans of cult film. And uh, you've also got Gamora's sister, joining the mix uh, as they set about on another quest to uh, commit some hijinks of sorts, I guess. it's there's The actual story of the film is a little murky for me. <laughs> uh, but Oh, is it? <laughs> there's a lot going on, as Andrew alluded to. And I like the first... Guardians of the Galaxy. I thought it was fun. It was I think something we had a little bit a famous disagreement about this film in the episode that we did on that film. Yeah, it was it was a little, it was different. It was uh, I and I am a sucker for good music in a film used well. Sure. And I thought they used some really great period rock songs in this kind of space opera setting. That was it was very irreverent. It was funny, and it was it was different. It was it was I had a good time watching it, and. What they kind of did with the second one is they made the assumption that 
all these guys and girls <laughs> who guard the galaxy have now become part of pop culture and they've become our friends and therefore they don't need to write good dialogue for them anymore <laughs> because they're beloved characters and we, we will eat up whatever they do. Mm. And there's not only one, but five additional scenes at the end credits for this film. Dear God. Uh, kind of perpetuate how much we want to consume from this franchise. Yeah. And you've got uh, Drax with his fake laughter quick wait quick question before you go any further phil i have a question for you would you say that they overplayed their hand well that's not really terminology i would use i don't normally <laughs> employ card references but uh overplayed their hand perhaps is that what you would say uh yeah i would say that that is this entire film is them overplaying their hand this is what what you are describing does not account for the level of fanboyism that you are expected to bring to this film. Uh, yeah, you you are expected to uh, just delight every time Drax laughs his obnoxious fake laugh, which is so forced. <laughs> it's and, actually Drax might be my favorite thing about this entire film. So. <laughs> Well, Drax was all right. He was pretty good at times. His uh, I prefer Drax when he's delivering dry humor. Um, sure. But uh, but you have this. You get the crew, the Guardians. Sure. Behaving like a group of petulant, unfunny children, uh, lobbing these insults at one another that are supposed to be delightful, but they're just they. I don't normally quote things that you've said. Oh yeah. From other from other discussions we've had. But <laughs> when I asked Andrew last week if he was looking forward to this film, he said that the trailers, the the jokes seemed very labored. Mm -hmm. And I would have to say, yeah, that's an appropriate label for these jokes. They are labored. They're not particularly funny. No. Um, but, uh, and overdoing it, playing, overplaying your hand. Yes, absolutely. Especially in the climax to this movie. Yeah. Which seems to feel the need to not only top everything else that's happened in the film, but top everything that happened in the first Guardians of the Galaxy film, mm -hmm. and top everything that happened in any space movie in general. Yeah. So you've got, you've got a chaotic climax full of <coughs> confusion, Piling mm -hmm. noise and commotion on top of more noise and commotion. Yeah. And they're just throwing everything they've got at the screen in a desperate attempt to entertain you and show you something you haven't seen before. And it's one thing that I liked about the first one was the humor. But the jokes in this one are so unfunny. It's like kind of like the way that Saturday Night Live is often unfunny. Mm -hmm. But there's such a large budget behind the jokes that you're tricked into thinking that they're funny. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that that pretty much describes the entire film. I think that this whole movie is smoke and mirrors. I think this is a, like, this is just a, this is a paper thin film that is just candy colored nonsense to trick you into thinking that you're having fun. And it is just, 
it's just dull. It is it mm. is aggressively stupid and aggressively dull. Mm. I I I was just astonished at how bored I was watching this movie. I'm gonna make a confession here. Yeah. And this this is not the first time I've done this. I fell asleep in the middle of this movie. Oh yes. And the the last time I can recall doing that was well, I it happened at Rogue One also. <laughs> but I was thinking about Godzilla, the the remake. Oh yeah. 2014. Yeah. I fall. I fell asleep during that one too, but yeah, that's never a good sign. And I got a lot no. of sleep last night, people. Yeah, uh, yeah. This. I mean, this film. It, it is bloated at two, almost two hours and twenty minutes. I think. Yeah, which is um, my most hated movie length. All yeah. Marvel movies seem to be two hours and fifteen to twenty minutes. Yeah, it's such an unnatural length. Give me an hour and a half movie. I'll have a great time. Give me a three-hour movie, like The Deer Hunter. I'll get into the rhythm of it just fine. But a two-hour and 15-minute running time is such a <laughs> weird, overlong time. It doesn't make any sense to my biorhythms. Yeah, it's it's a little it's a little off. It's a little strange. Although I think there's some good movies that fall in that range. Well, The, um, the Master is one. Sure, The Master is one. I think Silence of the Lambs falls somewhere in that range. Um, yeah. Maybe it's a little bit shorter. Uh, but yeah, this, uh, I mean, this film, I, when, when I said in my opening statement that, uh, the design philosophy seemed to be more is better, um, that applies to every aspect of this movie. It not only applies to the idea that we, we want to see more of the guardians because, oh my God, they're our besties and aren't they so fun and so funny. Um, but they were like, well, if they were funny and they were making quips and jokes in the last movie, then we got a triple down on the jokes and the quips so there isn't a, a, a minute long stretch of this entire film where somebody isn't cracking a joke and it's yeah. frustrating and annoying and and so much of it is so hollow and doesn't make any sense I mean there, there's a whole sequence in this film where uh, Kurt Russell I, I'm going to issue a spoiler alert because I'm going to talk about a bunch of the things that happened in this movie so if you haven't Fair seen enough. the film and you're interested in watching Guardians of the Galaxy 2 uh, volume two, then please stop the podcast right now and come back to us once you've, uh, watched it. Um, but I'm going to be talking about scenes from the film. So spoiler alert. Uh, so there's a, a, a scene where, uh, Star Lord's father played by Kurt Russell has taken them all in his lovely egg Starcraft back to his home planet that he has also mm. made because he is a celestial. And he, there's an, uh, a, a period of exposition where he's telling the story of how he came to be and how this planet came to be and everything. And he literally walks through this big open, you know, uh, sort of audience chamber. And there are dioramas, like these sort of living, weird, like pseudo porcelain dioramas of the things that he is describing as they happen. And then these appear to just be there. It's like the hall of presidents at, at Disneyland, except it's <laughs> the history of his life. And there's nobody for him to show it to. There's no reason for these things to exist. They just exist because we need some sort of visual stimulus while he's yeah. filling us in on this mountain of backstory that is completely meaningless. Right. It's, it's so, so dumb. And there is so yeah. much, like just it just bombards your eyes and it bombards your ears and 
there's no substance to it. It's just it is so thin. There's a really good video essay by Tony Zhou, and I'm, I really don't know if I'm saying his name right, but I've been watching his videos for a while. He's an excellent editor and video essayist, and he made a, a yep. great video essay called The Marvel Symphonic Universe last mm. year where he analyzes the use of music in Marvel films. Mm-hmm. Now, the example that Andrew just gave is a visual example, but it's still totally appropriate to the analogy that I'm making because it shows you how these Marvel movies just slather on the the visual and the auditory content and they overdo it. They just don't trust that they're doing a good enough job that people will still be interested in the film if they don't throw everything at the wall. Yeah. And in the in the video essay, Tony was talking about how in, a, in one of the Captain America movies, there's this moment where uh, Captain America is at some kind of, you know, I haven't seen the film, but it's some kind of museum or exhibit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's a there's music playing that's very kind of stirring. And yeah. then there's also this track of narration that is kind of telling the audience what they're looking at, almost literally. And Tony, he was able to do this somehow. He removed the narration but kept the music and showed how much more interesting and uh, arresting the scene is by taking out some of that extraneous elements. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and if you've seen this video, and all the YouTubers who comment on this video all seem to agree, yeah, they overdid it. They didn't need to have all that extra stuff. It, yeah. it would have been more compelling with a little more of an understated pr- approach. Well, it, um, it makes me think of that. Uh, what I think is, I don't know whether this was just a statement made about Hitchcock or made by Hitchcock, about the idea that uh, any film should be able to play, be played without the sound. And you should mm-hmm. be able to know what's happening, right? Well, you know, Hitchcock um, cut his teeth making silent films. Of too. course, yeah. So he was actually he was actually paid more money if his silent films needed fewer intertitles, mm-hmm. if he could tell the story visually. So he had a real incentive, and that's how he learned to do it. And yeah. it's still a great way to do it, of course. Yeah, it's a fantastic way to do it. And I feel like uh, the MCU, or Marvel Cinematic Universe completely ignores that that idea um and whether it be in terms of the score or whether it's in terms of the visuals or whether it's in terms of the special effects it just screams a design philosophy that says more is better just cram the screen with more stuff uh one of the most fascinating things about this movie is that uh the home world that star lord's father uh has created for himself is supposed to be this idyllic world, but -hmm. it has been crammed with so much color and so much vegetation and so much everything, so much ornate decoration that it looked, it looks to me like it can be a complete nightmare just to open your eyes and look around much less to live on much less to inhabit for millennia. You know, it, it, it it is, it, (laughs) I I have to believe that there ha- there's some part of the filmmakers who thinks to themselves, like, would this be actually cool, or is this just something that we're farming out to some visual effects studio to just, you know, create a, a, as much as they can do? Yeah, I can't help but think that even the fans of this franchise and the viewers 
who now this may be the 15th Marvel film they've seen, they can't help but kind of notice some of the things that we talk about and, and say, hey, you know, this isn't really working for me. I know that I'm supposed to like it, and I know mm-hmm. that all, everybody else likes it. I know I'm supposed to be thrilled, but there's something about this that just doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't feel good or natural to have all this stuff convoluted into one movie. Uh, I don't. Know, I really don't know if I'm just imagining that or if people are starting to wake up a little bit. I don't know. I don't know to tell but, you the truth. But no, I, I think that, go ahead. Yeah. I, I think that in this film, for me, it reached peak just lack of necessity when there's a there's a funeral for one of the characters in the film, and they cremate this character's body, and when they do it, they shove it in a little thing, and you get to watch the coffin and the body and whatever being cremated, and the fire. No, it's not good enough just to have it be fire. It has to be fire with 74 different colors in it. I mean, it was just it was just like visually painful to look at. I was like, oh, just turn it off. Make it stop. Just just have fire, for Christ's sake. Just I actually, do it like a normal I like the person. Fire. Oh, I, God. The fire was like probably the only uh, like overstatement that, that, I, that I did enjoy. But what, the, what you're talking about with, with – this is a spoiler alert, as we've already said. Yondu's funeral, okay – so Yondu is the Michael Rooker character yep. from both films. And, okay, I admit that I fell asleep, and then I woke up <laughs> later in the story. But all of a sudden, everybody is sentimentalizing this Yondu guy sure. as being, what a great guy he was. I'm so sad that he's going to pass away and he's going to give his life. And let's have this really weepy sequence where everybody remembers Yondu and, and cries about his, his death. And I was kind of like, what? I mean, not only yeah. are they ramping up the attempted humor, but they're really ramping up the attempted pathos, too. Well, And I, it just seems so undeserved. Yeah, well, that ha 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 you're touching upon the thing that I hated the most about the first Guardians of the Galaxy, which was that everything seemed undeserved to me in that film, and I think it's even more so in this film. Um, In keeping with the theme of more, I hate this film more than I hated the first one. Uh, The yeah, me too. The faux sentimentality that they try to wring out of us. Um, In the first film, it culminated in that awful scene where they were all going to break apart or whatever. And then they decided to stand up and say, Oh, we're family, right? That was completely undeserved. It was apropos of absolutely nothing in the film. It, it basically, and, and this happens again in this film with Yondu amongst other characters who are yeah. suddenly besties after, you know, the film, uh, the thing that, that makes no sense is that they do not earn it. It's almost as though they say simply by being in the same place at the same time as one another, they have gone through quote unquote things together and therefore they have a tight bond and our family, but we never see them really suffering for each other. We never see them really sacrificing for one another. We never see them really doing anything other than doing everything right all the time. I, it's, it's, it's exhaustively, stupid in the way that it presents its story and its characters because it's as though we're we're meant to just 
take it on faith that these are characters that we should care about. Take it on faith that these are characters who care about each other. It, they they never show it. They mm. never they never actually show it in the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to think about what was it about the first one that I was so attracted to, and why did it completely not happen the second time around? But I think. The, the, the most grievous error that the filmmakers committed, it's James Gunn was the writer and director of this film. Mm-hmm. And as well, I think he wrote the first one too. He definitely he did. directed the first one. He wrote and directed. But yeah, the, uh, the assumption, and this is the main takeaway that I think you should have from, the, from our discussion here. The main takeaway that I feel we're giving is that the movie makes this assumption uh, that these guys and girls are so lovable, so funny, so touching, so absolutely incredible that we should feel just utter ecstasy whenever they're on screen, whenever they're behaving like petulant children with each other, whenever they're insulting one another and saying things that aren't funny, but they're delivering the line in such a way that we're supposed to laugh. Um, the movie kind of makes its biggest mistake in that regard because it's the pretense is that isn't this funny? Isn't this fun? Uh, and then eventually isn't this so sad and touching and then back to, isn't this funny again? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just, any thinking person would have to, uh, quarry with that, that quarry quarrel with that opinion because sure there's no there's no wit to the humor uh but just the way that the editing presents the humor you can tell when you're supposed to laugh you can tell when the beats are when you're supposed to laugh and you can tell when they're doing a gag that lasts for a long time you can tell when you're supposed to laugh and it's almost like you're jolted into laughing by the music and the sound effects and everything it's almost like an uncomfortable thing where the uh, the film is like prodding you into reacting uh, with yeah. a laugh. Yeah. And it's uh, I think that they realize that they had they had something good with the first Guardians. It was a big hit financially, and I liked it when I saw it. And they just kind of just murdered it with the second one. They just tried to exploit that one kernel of of joy and humor. And it's just like a bull in a china shop or a uh, a bulldozer to find a china cup. Yeah, I don't... Man, I... Here's... This is such a, a, a cynical film in so many different ways. And incidentally, very interestingly, um, this is not something I usually get worked up about, but there is a moment in the film when... Yandu is escaping from his captors uh, when he's whistling his little arrow through this entire complex and he's killing everybody there. And the movie takes such extraordinary glee in watching all of these people die. And there's something to be said for that, again, when it's earned. But in this film, it's just, it just is. And we're almost we're, we're it's clear that the film expects us to react in a certain way, as you were saying, Phil. Uh-huh. Uh, 
the cues are all there, right? It's easy to read the cinematic cues that are cluing us into how we should be feeling, how we should be reacting, how we are doing things, especially in a film that's sort of big and broad and clumsy like this. Um, but watching that, I was just sort of like made very uncomfortable because I was like, I don't know why I'm supposed to be rejoicing at this level of chaos and death. <laughs> and yeah, I don't really know why I'm supposed to feel good about this other than because, the fact that the movie is telling the, me to feel good. Yeah. It's, it's the, the sarcastic nature of the franchise. It's the, the dark humor. It's like, uh, who knows? Maybe this film was informed by Deadpool's success as well. Uh, you know, because that movie sure. also has a very kind of uh, dark sense of humor. Sure. But, um, yeah, I think I was uh, <laughs> on I, another nerd. I think I was asleep during that part. But Oh, well, you, you missed a really <laughs> dumb part. Um, speaking of franchises, you mentioned this earlier. And... I think we have reached maximum depth to which we can go in the MCU. When the film at the end is clearly, clearly trying to set up new franchises and upcoming franchises. And we're at the point where I, who grew up in the 90s as a comic book maniac, reading everything that I could, I have no idea what franchise they're trying to set up with I mean you can't have the star power of Sylvester Stallone Ving Rhames, Michelle Yeoh like all together in one place and Miley Cyrus too oh was Miley Cyrus the other yeah Miley Cyrus was in it yeah so that's I think her character's name is like mainframe or something sure I mean but you know what you touched on something like (laughs) I was watching the end the end scenes, and I was like, oh, man, it's Ving Rhames. Yeah. Wait, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. There's, that's Michelle Yeoh. Wait a second, but I really don't want to see this. I don't yeah. want to see these characters. Yeah, I don't know who they are. I don't know why they're here. I don't care about them. I don't want to see them. I, I didn't even care that Howard the Duck is being set up as another franchise that we're gonna be is gonna be inflicted upon us in the near future, with with uh, Seth Green as the voice. Like, I don't, I don't want it. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Just stop. Stop while you're ahead. Do the do the whole Infinity Gauntlet thing. Have everybody fight Thanos in one movie where there's seventy five different characters, and then just stop. Stop the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Stop all comic book movies for ten or fifteen years. Just stop it. It's it's dead. It is. Oh God. It just. I. Uh, that's our show uh, for <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, we hope you'll stay tuned for our next episode. Uh, it's going to be another listener's choice. We're going to talk about the French horror movie Raw. Ooh, yeah. And our, our guest is going to be Caitlin joining us on the show again. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our talk. And we encourage you to watch anything. And that is not. <laughs> Maybe not anything. I mean, don't. Don't go see Beauty and the Beast. But, right, don't see that. Maybe but, maybe revisit a movie that we did like uh like The Deer Hunter or you know, a listener's choice yeah, that we recently did. Yeah. RoboCop, the original RoboCop. Yeah, that's a good that's a good action flick that that is that still holds up. 
Yeah. Well, anyways. Catch, be with you. Yeah, catch us, catch us for the, that episode, and we'll catch you next time. 